Welcome to The Antique Show. We talk antiques, collectibles and art and all the news and events from Australia and around the globe. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Oh, thank you, voiceover guy. You do an amazing job as you do every week. Welcome to The Antique Show. And joining us in our studios in the Learn Antiques headquarters is Mark, our man behind the glass. Give us a wave, Mark. There he is. And what a big week it's been. So much to talk about, and I'm really glad that you're joining us for Episode 3. Anyway, in this week's show, we discover why some days are really diamonds when we speak to one of my close friends and mentors, the very colourful Richard Hosking. We also dive deep into the iconic South Australian pottery brand, Bosley. Now, you might have seen Bosley around. You might not have known it as Bosley, but the little frogs with the bright yellow chest with McRobertsons and Fredo over it, that's made by Bosley. So we're going to dive deep into that. And we also find out why, despite Moore's law, some computers are highly collectible and worth thousands, tens of thousands, and sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars. We also talk sneakers. Now, I throw most of mine out, and I don't have that many because I'm not really a runner, but sneakers as a collectible who would have thought but anyway on with the show and to the news the auction and antique news brought to you by the antique show and topping the news this week, at the 11th hour, a sapphire intaglio ring has been recatalogued after being recognised as one of the renowned Malbro gems. The ring has an octagonal faceted stone carved with the bust of a Roman emperor. Now, it's probably Julius Caesar. Now, the collection of about 800 engraved gems formed by the nobleman and politician George Spencer was the largest and most important of its age. The present whereabouts, however, of over two-thirds of the gem is still unknown, and hence why there are lost Malbro gems. And the Bavarian National Museum in Munich has purchased a sculptural bust in white mice and porcelain of Karl Albrecht, the elector of Bavaria and also the Holy Roman Emperor Charles VII, for a hammer price of £55,000 at a Bonham sale in London earlier this month. The bust dates from 1740, around the time that Karl Albrecht was elected as the Holy Roman Emperor. The piece was formerly part of a large series of Meissen busts in the collection of the Counts Waldstein at the Ducks Castle in Bohemia. Now on to the Beatles. The Beatles' original management contract with Brian Epstein has been sold at Sotheby's for £220,000. This was signed by the band on the 24th of January 1962 and it was part of a collection of material relating to the Fab Four's legendary performances in Germany, although Epstein's own signature is conspicuously absent. Epstein entered the Beatles' lives when they were in danger of losing momentum. With no prior experience of music management and a lack of faith in himself, he chose not to sign it. Now on to Egyptian news. The auction company Christie's has reiterated that it has carried out extensive due diligence into the head of Tutankhamun after the Egyptian National Committee for Antiquities Repatriation, or NCAR, said it will instruct a UK law firm to file a lawsuit over its £4 million sale. Prior to the election, Egypt had questioned the legality of the trading in items, the authenticity of the documents and evidence of legal exportation 
came from Egypt. While on July the 4th, the day of the sale, a small protest was held outside the King Street sales room. Now, according to the BBC, NCAR, or the Egyptian National Committee of Antiquities Repatriation, would also ask Interpol to issue a circular to track down the illegal sale of Egyptian artefacts worldwide. And a single consignment of three Grand Tour marble micro-mosaics drew international bidding in the room, on the phone and online, and all three went to different Italian buyers, way above modest expectations in a recent sale. The best of the panels depicting the Cascar de Tivoli near Rome, estimated originally at £700,000, sold for £9,000. And a similarly sized panel depicting the Roman Forum in Rome took a triple estimate at £2,000. But by far the biggest surprise was a small circular mosaic of an antique vase, which is included in a mixed lot. This was pitched around about 80 to 120 pounds. It sold for 6,000 pounds. So just be aware and be on the lookout, even on the small lots at auction. And finally, combining fine 18th and 19th century works by major silversmiths with rarities of scholarly interest, the comprehensively catalogued silver sale at Cheswick's auctions appealed to specialists across the market spectrum. The major boosts were the 160 pieces consigned by noted local collector Andrew Milne, which he amassed over the last 15 years, largely from auction. It mainly consisted of premier makers and partners between 1760 and 1840, including John Wakeland, John Schofield, Benjamin Smith and Paul Storr. Anyway, that's been the news this week. Word of the week. Balik, a porcelain that has an eggshell thinness and an iridescent clear glaze. Discover to find unexpectedly. Let's talk Bosley pottery. Now, Bosley is one of the most iconic South Australian pottery brands from the early to mid 20th century. So why Bosley? I think part of it for me, Bosley, they don't produce or haven't produced fine works. They're not intricately fine works like some of the Staffordshire and Minton potteries that you find in England. They were in some ways, and I don't mean this uh, badly, but they are crude works, but they're from the Depression era. So they were very basically done and they had a very basic glaze. They were not that highly decorated, but they almost captured the soul of Australia at that time. And they produced things like the koalas and they produced, you know, kookaburras and magpies they produce the garden gnomes and also the mcrobertson's frog which is probably one of their more decorative and more collectible pieces but their glazes is what captured me the most they were just the basic green glaze the brown glaze the beige the yellow but they were deep colored and beautiful glazes and so for me bos bosley was a very simple pottery 
it's actually very, very beautiful in its own way. So let's talk a little bit about Bosley. So the early days of Bosley. So Bosley, as we know, it was started by Thomas George Duffy Bosley, who was born in 1867, and who at the age of nine started as an apprentice with his father, Thomas Sr., at the local High Marsh Pottery Works. Now, Thomas Jr. was born into a family with a long potting history. Both his father, Thomas Sr., and Uncle George were potters for Staffordshire in England before moving out to South Australia where they worked for High Marsh Pottery. And high marsh potteries did mainly utilitarian wares like drain pipes and sinks and the like. Now, Bosley had its official start in 1932 when Thomas Jr. opened a small pottery works in Mitcham in South Australia who was patronised by the none other than the art-loving Lady Benitham. Then in 1936, he had a small team of six potters, including his son, Alfred. And by 1937, they built their family bungalow, which featured the trademark Bosley Green Chimney Pot. Now, Thomas died, this is Thomas Jr., died in 1945. And one year later, Mitchum Potteries opened and traded as Bosley Wares under the management of local Ron Bissett. Now, unfortunately, by 1954, the Mitchum Works were struggling financially and eventually closed in 1964. 10 years later, which is a real shame, really. Now, as I said earlier, some of the iconic pieces include the McRobertson's Fredo Frog. This is one of the most highly collectible pieces of Bosley. So if you imagine a frog, and these were designed for advertising in the local milk bars and shops, it stands probably around about 30 centimetres high, and it's a basic green glaze, but it has this bright yellow chest, and inscribed on the chest in green is McRobertson's Fredo Frog. Now, these sell anywhere between, on an average, day 6,000 to 9,000. However, I've heard that Interstate, one recently fetched at auction, $19,000. Huge money. Now these, and I found one of these in a garden under a palm tree one day when I was out, and this is at Kernelite Garden, so be on the lookout for that. It's iconic, you can't miss them, stamped underneath Bosley Ware or Bosley. The other things they used to do as well as the gnomes. Now the gnomes, again, sell really well. They're around about 40, 50 centimetres high, sitting next or standing next to a tree stump, a very basic glaze, typically brown pants, a beigey face, and a coloured shirt with a peat cap. Now these sell between $1,500 and $3,000. But the other figures they did, they did magpies and rabbits, koalas, kookaburras and owls. Most of these were very basically cast and glazed pieces. But lots of houses have these. Now, quite recently, we sold a pair or two of the Bosley frogs. And these were seven centimetres and nine centimetres high. But one of them was a rare one. It had a yellow chest. Didn't have McRobertson's frog on it, but it was just a small piece with a yellow chest. Now, the two of these sold for $600. So be on the lookout for Bosley pottery. You can find them anywhere in South Australia. Some are over in the eastern states. But look around at some of the op shops and have a look around the garden of your grandmother's home because you never know what you might find. Bosley Ware, also be called uh, Mitchum Potteries with Bosley Ware on the base of it. Have a look. Hope you enjoyed it. I invite you to visit Learn Antiques, where you can read, watch, learn and grow. www.learnantiques.com.au There's articles, news, video and podcasts, and it's all for free at Learn Antiques. www.learnantiques.com.au <laughs>
Okay, it might be unusual, might be super cool, it could be really bizarre, it might be weird, but it is definitely collectible. Here we are, weird stuff we collect. Now, what I thought I'd look at this week, and this comes off the back of selling a Commodore 64 on last Monday's sale for $320. Now, that really took me back to my first and early computing days. I think I might have been 9 or 10 or 11 years of age, and I got given a Commodore 64 for Christmas. And I learnt over Christmas how to program Lemonade and some sort of game where a guy was on a trampoline. Anyway, I had the five and a quarter inch floppy, and I had the data set, the whole works. Anyway, we sold one for $320 plus buyers premium. So it got me thinking, what else out there as far as computers and that type of technology sells? So I did a little bit of research. And to my surprise, the Apple One. So remember, this is the very first computer or board that Apple sold. And they made around about 200 units of these. And they were selling originally for $666.66 each. Anyway, in 2014, a working Apple One sold for $900,000 at auction. And Apple also produced another product called Lisa. Not Siri, but Lisa. The original sale price was $10,000. Now, can you imagine that? In 1980 or thereabouts, $10,000. You could probably buy a house and have enough left over for a family car. Well, these still fetch around about $2,000. Now, you don't have to know much about computers to know the word or the name Cray. Anyway, the Cray T94. Now, this cost originally $39 million. It was, uh, I think it was either air-cooled or liquid-cooled big pipes going in there, huge amounts of uh, data processing for the time. And this was produced, as I said, 1995 for $39 million. If you can find one, they're still worth two or $3,000. Even earlier model, a German Enigma machine, made famous by the movie, came out recently, but also you might know it as the machine that encoded and decoded messages uh, during World War II. Anyway, one of those sold for £82,500. So why do we talk about this? Just goes to show there are collectibles in many different facets that could just be laying around. It could be in landfill somewhere. could be in the local shop. Calculators, which are very similar to computers. In fact, the calculator was the early computer. A 17th century grillet portable calculator, which is a cool... I haven't seen one in real life. I saw one online. Really cool little box with lots of uh, dials that you can turn and move. Anyway, they're worth around about 200000 US dollars. So amazing to think that computer technology like this is actually worth some money considering how quickly the computing power increases. Now, as a footnote, talking about footnotes and sneakers, Sotheby's have launched, and this is really bizarre for me. Anyway, Sotheby's launched their latest online catalogue called the Ultimate Sneaker Collection, and it features some of the rarest, most coveted sneakers ever produced by the biggest names in the industry. Now, the auction crown jewel are a handmade pair of Nike moon shoes. Now, these are made in 1972 and designed by Nike co-founder Bill Bauman. And these are priced for 110 to 160000 That's US dollars. That's huge. That's about $200,000 Australian or thereabouts. Now, other gems <clears throat> include two pair of mag sneakers. These are from 2011 
and 2016. And these were inspired by Marty McFly um, from Back to the Future Part 2. So you probably remember the, um, the self-propelled shoes, they tighten themselves on. Anyway, these are worth between sort of fifteen and $50,000. Go online, have a look. I've got the website up now. It's amazing. There are about 100 of the rarest speakers, uh, speakers sneakers going up for sale. And it is quite an amazing thing. Anyway, so be on the lookout for calculators, computers, and sneakers. That's Weird Stuff We Collect. This week, it's my great pleasure to introduce you to not only one of my good friends, but he's been my mentor and also one of the stalwarts of our industry. And he owns one of the most colourful shops on McGill Road called Some Days of Diamonds, Mr. Richard Hosking. Pretend I know nothing about you. Tell me the Richard Hosking story. Oh, we haven't got time. It's only two o'clock in the afternoon. We couldn't possibly get through it. Tell me the highlights of Richard Hoskins. I was born in India. My parents went to India gold mining. They were from Tasmania. They were associated with the uh, Beaconsfield mine where the two miners were locked underground. Anyway, we went to India. I was born in India. I left there when I was 10. We went back to Tasmania. My dad had become an asthmatic or became an asthmatic, so we couldn't stay in Tasmania. It was too cold. Most of our relatives are in Adelaide. So we came to Adelaide in 1952, which is a long time ago now. Mm. And I went to school here. And then uh, my mum was a, an antique auction goer, McGoran Hogg. She used to go to McGoran Hogg back in the uh, late 50s. So I probably got some interest in, for, from her and... Uh, my interest in the furniture side of it started when I went to an auction one day and bought a, um, a piece of furniture, which I thought was amazing. I'd never seen anything like it because I was always interested in furniture through my mother. And uh, the piece of furniture, I took it home and my wife, Helen, said, what the hell's that? I said to her, I bought it today at an auction. I don't know what it is. She said, well, you can't bring it inside. And, and it turned out that I've discovered later the piece of furniture was actually a piece of depression furniture made out of packing cases. And uh, it was interesting. I found it interesting because my mum always had very polished antique furniture. So this struck me as being something really quite unique. And then from that... Uh, I probably got together about 10 pieces of this furniture in the carport because I wasn't allowed to take it inside. I didn't know much about it, and there one or two shops around I discovered by looking that actually sold this furniture. So I used to go in there and look and see what they were doing. And one day I was in there um, in one of the shops, and a guy walked in who walked around the shop, and I... In my sticky big way, I just listened to what he was doing and, and he ended up buying a bit of furniture from this shop of the type that I had in my carport. So I thought, that's interesting, I'll talk to this bloke. So when he walked out, I walked out after him, stopped him and said, can you explain to me what what that, what that what you're doing, what, what's that furniture? And he told me all about it, it was depression furniture and, and I said, you actually, what are you going to do with this? I've got a shop in Melbourne. I said, you actually buy that? He said they come to Adelaide because Adelaide's the source of most of it. Mm. So I said, well, I've got some at home. Would you like to come and have a look at it? And he said, sure. So he came up to my house and walked around. He said, yeah, well, I'll give you this much for all of those pieces. And I went, wow, that's, that's a fairly hefty profit, actually. So I said, fine, you can have them all. And so... He bought them, gave me the money, and that was actually the start of, uh, I thought, well, this seems an easy way to make 
make a dollar. Okay. Let's go from this. And so that's how it started. So gradually I took more and more time off and started going to the bush and over a period of time became a knocker, which is the uh, the American picker of picker. today. Okay. So we were doing that before the American pickers were born. It was actually quite a, uh, an amazing situation. We, we did that for several years and um, bought an enormous amount of furniture, which we sold Um and eventually, of course, we had sheds full of this furniture and we decided we'd better have a shop. And so that's how the shop came about. Okay, tell me about the name. It's a very positive statement, Sunday. Yeah, Sundays the Diamonds was um, the name that my wife came up with because when we used to go to the country, she always, she would know I'd get out of the car and she'd sit in the car and I'd walk over and talk to the farm and walk around. And if there, if I thought there was something there or something to buy, I used to hold my thumb up to her in the old proverbial way, this is a good good day, this mm-hmm. is some days of diamonds. So I remember getting in the car and say, some days of diamonds. Is anything that stands out when you were picking or door knocking that you go, oh, I've never seen one of these and I'll probably never see another one again? Oh, that probably happened every day back then because I don't know how many people know of the McAlpine era, but the McAlpine era was starting when we were basically only had only just started. My interest always was in primitive and folk art as distinct from other people who wanted cedar, high polished cedar or fancy things. I never looked for that. It was my interest was always in the broken down old pieces made by the farmers. It was all my, was my interest. And it was McAlpine's interest as well. So that that time it was a, a fair boom. What was your attraction to that the Australian furniture, the bush furniture? Oh, I just liked the, the ruggedness of it, just the simplicity of it. I mean, things made of packing cases and barbed wire and ingenuity. And do you still collect? Oh, so a little bit. We had quite a lot of it. I kept, I've kept some pieces for interest, but the market is not quite as good now as it used to be. It's fallen, and as pieces became scarce, so we started as our shop. We started making copies of the uh, original German pieces, and that's still we. That's probably our basis of our business today. That we make tables and things. Um, basically in the mould and form of the early German settlers. Because it's not, this is not an antique shop. Not really. It's not, not no. at all. You go through and it's, it's very bright, very colourful. There's a mix of the new and the old and then the repurpose. So what's some of the other major changes you've seen in our industry? The, probably the biggest change has been that younger people no longer are aspirational to their parents' furniture, mm-hmm. which is probably the number one total difference because I always wanted to have the furniture of my parents or better furniture than my parents had. That's why there's so many um, crushed avocados. Crushed avocados. Yeah. Tell me about that. Tell me about crushed avocados. <laughs> you must know about the crushed, the crushed avocado generation. No. Oh, the what? smashed avocado. Yeah. Smashed avocado. Yeah, it's okay. crushed is a better word. Crushed. Okay. Now I understand. <laughs> <laughs> smashed. So it's <laughs> the smashed avocado with eggs on, on rye. Yeah, that's killed the business. Okay. All right. So tell me, what keeps you turning up each day? Um, it stops me from staying home. Okay. <laughs> Don't like it at home? No, I love it at home. But uh, uh, life has been uh, good to me that my brain has stayed moderately operative. 
whereas my body has been uh, doesn't, doesn't travel so well now, so I have a couple of sticks and I can't walk much, but I enjoy it. I enjoy the fun of talking to people. I enjoy the fun of finding things. I enjoy the fun of designing things. And and you're telling me before that you'd still work five or six days yeah, a week. Yeah, five or six days a week. I mean, you, you are <laughs> one of the very few genuinely upbeat and positive about pretty well everything that... Yeah, I'm not too uh, nervous about things. Hmm. Um, I think you get less nervous as you get older because um, you learn that you can't control everything. So we talk about sagely advice. If you had the opportunity to meet the younger you, what advice would you give yourself? Just buy it. Just buy it. Yeah. I think um, most things, you get a lot of opportunities to buy things through life and you don't always buy them. Well, Richard, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. You are a very colourful figure in our industry, and I really appreciate your time. I've, I've learned a few things today, which I can go home now, hand on heart, and say I've learned learned a couple of things. I'm wiser as I normally am speaking to you, but I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Jason. It's lovely talking to you. Um, it's always good to listen and talk to a modern person. And if you'd like to visit Richard and his team at Some Days of Diamonds, you can find them at 154 McGill Road at Nord. You can also find them online at www.somedaysardiamonds.com.au. And their phone number is 8363-9492. That's Some Days Are Diamonds. Prepare yourself. Okay, let's go. Now, what's it worth? Coming off the back of a huge auction last Monday, 1,150 lots in the smalls and on the floor. Let's review some of those prices. Straight off the bat, lot number 241's a leopard statue. Yep, the lovely 70s stroke 80s leopard statue. That sold for $550 plus buyer's premium. That's probably the most expensive leopard statue we've sold so far, but it's a lovely one as well. And we've got, secondly, the apothecary chest. That's lot number 1,504. Beautiful little piece. It's uh, made by the Whitehall Tatum Company. It's in a lovely mahogany case. The inside looks like it's got most of the jars there, and it's still got the original velvet lining, although it has been, it's slightly decayed, and it's certainly sun-bleached, and that sold for $380. Lot number 223. Now, this, for me, is quite an when I first started, these were thrown out. We wouldn't take them into auction. They're worth $5 at the very most. A stereogram or a radiogram. Admittedly, really nice, beautiful base on it, almost like the TH Brown or the Teak Mid Century coffee tables or the sideboards. It's in beautiful condition and most likely works. That sold for $650 plus the buyer's premium. Fantastic stereograms. Don't throw them out. On to Chester Drawers. Again, mid-century. We're talking mid-century. We're at the end of the mid-century boom. Uh, is the end in sight? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. 
it's still got a lot of life in it. This one's a four-draw chest. Love little peaked back on it. Teak with cigar legs, and that sold for $900 plus the buyer's premium. A Victorian gasolier. So this is pre the days of electricity. You'd have gas piped in, whether it be carbide gas or, or normal gas. Gas would be piped in, and it would be lit through your chandelier. This is called a gasolier. And this sold for $2,700. A watch chain. This is a nine-carat gold watch chain. Lovely links on it. Very solid links. Nice little T-bar on the base of it as well. Good length. That sold for $800. And a Barbara Hanrahan. If you haven't seen Barbara's work, beautiful lino cuts. This one is entitled Beauty and the Beast. Now, it's a limited edition, which means I think these ones, she did either 60 or 80 editions of these. Beauty and the Beast, measuring 37 by 22 centimetres, sold for $900. Beautifully framed as well. Nice contemporary frame. Into the Japanese officer's sword. This one's in a leather sheath. I think it's probably pre or post World War II. Lovely condition. Really nice hand-woven and hand-woven handle with a the shark skin or stingray skin underneath. The leather scabbard's beautiful. Really good condition. That sold for $1,100. And finally, probably for me, the big news. Now, these are two small pottery frogs made by local company Bosley. They sold for $600. And you think, well, hang on for a moment. They were seven centimetres and four centimetres high, $600. But one of them was quite a rare yellow-bellied frog, similar to the McRobinson's frog we sold earlier this year for around about $4,500. This is a small one, highly collectible. They are quite rare on the market. Because of their size, they tended to be either lost in the garden or thrown out or chipped or broken or stood on or left at home. But this one... Or this set, two of them sold for $600. Anyway, that's what it's worth. The big lesson there is throw nothing out. Make sure you get an expert around, an appraiser, an auctioneer to have a look at the items and see what they're worth at sale. Ah, we're almost done now with the third episode of The Antique Show, and I really appreciate you joining me. Hope you've learned something today. I look at it and say, if I can learn one thing every day, then I'm 365 times wiser at the end of one year. What I'd like to share with you, one of my dear customers, Angela and Gordon, came into the auction room yesterday, and they reminded me of something that I wrote in my newsletter some months ago, and that was the saying, lifestyle by design, not by default. So it's lifestyle by design, not by default. And I don't really remember where I first came across that saying. It's certainly not something I've invented by any means. It's something that a few of you might have heard before, but it had a big impact on my life. And that really was a lesson for me to take control of the things that you want. Don't blame others. Take control of the things you want. Most things in our life we can actually control. Yes, there are some things we can't. There are some things that come out of the blue, slap us across the face, and we have to dust ourselves off, get up, and get on with it. But most things we can actually control. I hear people say, oh, I wish I did this. I wish I'd done that. I regret not doing this. I wish I'd learned another language, whatever it might be. And I shake my head in some ways and say, well, you could actually do that if you wanted. If your passion is really there for something, then why don't you grab it and go for it? It's only time. That's all it's going to take up. So if you're sitting on the couch one night watching TV, 
have a stop for a moment and reflect on some of the things that might be missing from your life that you want to do. It might be a new sport, it might be a new hobby, it could be new language, it could be spending more time with friends, it could be just picking up the phone and having a talk with someone. It could be a whole myriad of things. But those small incremental changes over the course of days, then months, and then years are massive by the time you get a chance to look back at where you've come from and where you are now, as long as you take that first step to make some change. Anyway, really big ending there. Um, As with all of uh, the episodes, I really hope you get something out of the Antique Show. If you'd like to drop us an email, share a collection, share your latest purchase, whatever it might be, you can do so and email me at jasonharriseducation at gmail.com. That's jasonharriseducation at gmail.com. Again, I hope you really enjoyed it. Keep on collecting. Uh, Go and find something really cool out there. Come to an auction, whether it's Scammel Auctions or an auction in your state or in your country. doesn't matter what it is. Have a a good look at the history, the depth of what we have in our industry. My name's Jason Harris. I thank you again for joining me for The Antique Show, and we'll see you next week for Episode 4. That's the Antique Show brought to you by Scammel Auctions and is produced by Antique Education Proprietary Limited and features on learnantiques.com and the podcast Podbean for the Antique Show. Copyright 2019.